This summer, our oldest daughter, Natalie, has been studying abroad. She's been studying in France. Uh, she was there for two months, and then my wife, Molly, went to, to go see her and bring her home. And so uh, we have been surviving. It's been amazing in our house. Uh, and so if you were the kids who were still at home, um, you were tasked by Dad to, to be a cleaner. So we wanted the house to be cleaner when she got home than when she left and when to serve her and honor her and get stuff done and take care of business and so Friday night rolls around, and kids had done a great job. We'd gotten rid of all, you know, just trying to make the house nice. And so getting tired, they're coming home Saturday, yesterday, and there's one project that I've been putting off, I kid you not, for years. And Molly's wanted me to do. So she replaced, a long time ago, she replaced all the door handles in the entire house to make things look better, more updated, more contemporary. And there was one, uh, two door handles actually that were problematic, and so she asked me to do it. I don't know how many years ago. <laughs> Not too handy. Um, because here's how these things go. It's a 10-minute job. All you need is a screwdriver, right? And four hours later, you're losing your sanctification. And so, dust all over this, the brand new door handles, and it's just a, it's, so I thought, I'm going to try, which is probably a dumb idea. So I go down to the garage, I get my screwdriver, that's all I'm going to need. Yeah, right. So then I go upstairs, take the old ones off, and I'm just waiting to have to drill new holes and all this stuff. Ten minutes later, I put my screwdriver away. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I had a Tom Hanks castaway moment, right? I have made fire, right? I have installed door handles. I was so happy. I wanted to wake up all the kids. <laughs> One in every crowd. Of course it worked. So I took such great joy in my Tom Hanks moment. I, it, it worked. It, it totally worked, and that's how it's supposed to work. That's why I was so happy. That's how it's supposed to work. I took joy in the fact that I did something. It was easy. It was supposed to be easy. And that's how it's supposed to go. And that is my introduction today to 3rd John. So the third letter of John toward the end of the Bible. And John writes to Christians. Well, he writes to one Christian, but he's writing to Christians by extension. And he's mainly affirming them. Okay, 3 John is an affirming letter. And he's affirming Christians because they're living the way Christians are supposed to live. And he takes great joy. He doesn't say, I have made fire, because he didn't do it. But he's watching and affirming Christians, not behaving badly, but behaving Christianly. And he says that that gives him no greater joy. When things go the way they're supposed to go, it's awesome. It's joyous. And Christians are supposed to honor the Lord with the way they live. They're supposed to love other Christians. They're supposed to love other people who aren't Christians. They're supposed to love God. And they're supposed to want to do the right thing out of gratitude to Him. Not to earn eternal life, not to earn heaven. Sinners can't do that. But because of what Christ has done, and because He's given us the power of the Spirit to live new lives, when it happens, we say, oh, yes. That's how it's supposed to be. So many times it's not, but it's supposed to be that way. 
So third John is what we're going to study this morning. We did second John last week. And I think, Lord willing, the next book we will start will be the book of first Peter. First Peter is a pretty short book. It's a great book because it helps people like us, strangers and aliens, the Bible says, because this is not our ultimate home. Uh, we're travelers. It helps us strangers and aliens live lives that honor Christ, even amidst difficulty, even amidst suffering, even amidst persecution, because this is not heaven, if you haven't figured that out yet. And so it's a great book. It's very theological and taking theology and showing you how it helps you to persevere and helps you to see things the right way so you can honor the Lord, even though your life's not perfect and no one else's is either. So there's a little plug for First Peter, but Third John today, it's a pretty simple book, again, meant to reinforce you, meant to encourage you. It opens up with a general expression of care and greeting, then he celebrates their godly living, uh, then he encourages them to keep on keeping on, and then he gives a good example and a bad example. Easy to do, we'll handle it in no time with no problem. So if you look with me there at the first verse, it says, the elder... We learn from 2 John and 1 John, that's John, John the Apostle of Jesus. He refers to himself as the elder, that's a word for pastor, not only older people, could be, yeah, he's probably older here and wiser, but also a synonym for a pastor, somebody who cares, someone who shepherds, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Just a couple of comments about that. So John writes to Gaius, who we don't know anything about. There are a couple of people in the Bible. Paul mentions two different people named Gaius. Might be one of them, might not be. Apparently, it's not important. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a church leader because he doesn't specify, but he's writing to a Christian in a different location. And he says, At whom I love in truth. And we learned in 2 John and in 1 John, truth refers to the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in John chapter 14, Jesus refers to himself as the truth. So he says, general greeting, but a Christian greeting, I love you in the truth, in the gospel. We're brothers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you because you're a fellow partaker. You're, you're a fellow brother or sister in the body of Christ. It's very appropriate for me. I'm caring for you as a Christian. Then we go on to see in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. praying for your health. I'm praying for you as an entire person too because I'm praying for your soul. I care about you holistically. I love you in Christ. God cares about you holistically. I do too. I'm imitating His love for you. you, you you're just getting the warm greeting, right? Pretty straightforward. And then He gets into the meat of things. The celebration of their godly living, the joy that comes because they're doing the right thing. Look there at verse 3 with me if you would. For I rejoiced greatly. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have, how about this? He ratchets it up in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So much going on there. But he's, he's 
thrilled is probably not the right word, but you get the idea. That there, I have no greater joy than, than watching this happen. Then my children, probably not speaking literally, but metaphorically, because we're, we're loving in the truth, in the gospel, but children in the gospel, he's the older one, maybe he evangelized them, or, or, or he evangelized those who evangelized them, but you get the idea, it's, it's familial, it's family, and you know what makes me more happy than anything else, beyond circumstance, so I'll use the word joy, is it when my children are walking in the truth? That common biblical metaphor that John likes and Paul likes, conduct. You're living. You're carrying out your behavior. It's how you act. It's how you think. It's your walk. This is why Christians sometimes say, how is your walk? How's your Christian living? How's it going in your life? And he says, this is great. You are walking in light of the gospel. You're walking in the truth. You're living like a Christian lives. You're bearing fruit. You have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He means all those things. I even like it that he says, your truth. And he's not a postmodern. That comes later in history. Okay. He doesn't mean you have your truth and I have my truth and they can... He, he doesn't mean that. He, it's the truth, but it's such a reality in their life that they belong to it and it belongs to them, right? They're, I like to use... They're vested. It's theirs. I, I love that image. It's your truth. The gospel. You have, you have believed in Jesus to the point where it's yours and you've taken ownership even. It's great. He's encouraged. He's excited. He's affirming, walking in the truth, the truth about Christ. Now I have a question for you. I'm just up here getting excited all by myself. It's amazing. I don't know what I would do if I weren't a preacher. Drive my family crazy. This is exciting because we're seeing what makes a mature Christian, even an apostle of Jesus, have unrivaled joy. So if I want to learn how to be a godly mature person and I'm around John, I'd say, what is it that brings you joy? What is it that, that, that surpasses any other kind of joy in your life? Seeing my spiritual children walking in the truth. Now I want to ask you, why? What's that about? Why would he say there's nothing on earth if he's got friends and we know he does? <laughs> Family members? Really good friends? Enjoys good meals? <laughs> there's nothing that brings me greater happiness, satisfaction, joy, and rejoicing, transcending circumstance, than watching Christians act like Christians. Why would he say that? I think the answer is because, because there's nothing that rivals that. Nothing that rivals God working in a person's life. Let's start with regeneration. The, the God of the universe, by the power of the Spirit, it was read by Pastor Mike Grimes earlier in First Peter, causes us to be born again. 
God opens our eyes. God gives us new hearts. And from there, we believe in Jesus and we are justified. We are reconciled to God. We have peace with God. We have the power of the Spirit, not only who had regenerated us and applied all of Christ's benefits to us, and then He's also bearing fruit in our life. There is absolutely, think about it, nothing like it. Doesn't mean there aren't other great things in life. It doesn't mean there aren't other great joys in life. There are great joys. I watched a dad walk in today holding a little baby, and I thought that is so sweet. That's a joy in life to watch that happen. But but ultimately, what lasts forever, and I'm not discounting that at all, warmed my heart. Somebody else told me a story, and it made me want to cry today. They're, they're, and it was a joyous kind of crying. Okay. But beyond transcending the greatest thing, because it will last forever, is the work of God in someone's life. The saving work of God, the sanctifying work of God. There is nothing that brings me more joy, John the mature, godly apostle says, than seeing Christians act like Christians. Now, he's not, he's not exhorting us here. He's just describing his own experience. So, but if you need a little exhorting, <laughs> you can say, does that bring me joy? I hope it does. It's what we're seeing modeled by a godly person. I hope the more I grow spiritually, the more I appreciate that above and beyond everything else. Because it's going to last forever. Priority number one. Last Sunday, there was a family visiting um, who were members of Omaha Bible Church before they moved away six years ago. And I just stared at them, you know. It was like, they moved to Wyoming, of all places. They must be godly. I just like stared at them. Their kids are all bigger. They look good. They had it together. And we talked a little bit. I was just smiling, just staring at them. You know how you kind of forget about people? You know, for good or for bad, life is busy. I just thought it's so good to see these people. And we had a conversation, how are things going, uh, of some substance. And they didn't put it this way, but really what they were saying was, we're walking in the truth. And I thought, this is awesome. This is great. So a lot of things are great in life, and we should thank the Lord for everything. But one thing above all other things would be the power of the gospel at work in saving people and growing them up spiritually. Makes me want to pray for that too when we see that happening. More important than anything else. Beyond everything else. One more story about my wife being gone. We took three trips to the Goodwill when my wife was gone. And we weren't shopping. We were donating, right? Donating all that great stuff that we just don't use anymore. Um, You know, it was a spiritual experience. All this stuff that we spent all this money on, right? Because maybe we needed some of it. But it it was good just to see, you know what, I'm just giving this stuff away now. In one sense in my life, It's worthless. It's worthless. 
And again, not that we don't need things, not that we can't enjoy things. I'm not that guy. God has given us things and abilities and pleasures. We should give God glory for all of them. But remember priorities. No greater joy. No greater transcendent kind of happiness than seeing Christians walk in the truth. Makes me want to do that. Makes me want to pray for that in the lives of other people too. Cool to see. Very cool to see. If you go to the Goodwill to shop this week, I wouldn't buy the white bunk bed because it's kind of teetering. And who knows what's... Never mind, I'm not going to say anything else. I want to protect the dignity of others. Now let's move on. Let's go to, let's go to, to the encouragement to keep on keeping on. He says in verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles or the pagans or the godless, the unbelievers in this context. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, no greater joy. You're doing awesome, but let me just keep encouraging you to do awesome, right? And apparently what's gone on is they've had people who are proclaiming the name, proclaiming the truth about Jesus, out doing evangelism, if you will. We might call them missionaries who are traveling, right? And they have shown them hospitality. They have shown them love. Remember, 1 John talks about that. 2 John talks about that. This is what Christians do. New creations in Christ. We show love for other people, yes, but uniquely love for other Christians. And John is saying, you have done a great job. They've told us you've done a great job. Now I want you to do a great job. It's affirming. It's affirming and just putting some, some fuel on the, on, the, on the fire to say, yeah, excel at this. This is, this is right. This is good. This is faithful. So many times in, in our thinking, we confuse faith in Jesus and faithfulness. I'm just going to take a moment here because sometimes we think God accepts us based upon our faithfulness. And that is a lie. That's what other non-Christian religions teach. If you're faithful, then God will accept you. The reality is, faith is trust. It's not what we do. It's... it's, it's uh, the, the Bible teachers call it the empty hand of faith. Yeah, here, here is, is Jesus who's done this, and, and I'm going to rest in His effort on my behalf. I'm trusting in Him. So we believe in salvation is by grace alone through faith or faithfulness. Faith alone in the perfect work of Christ alone. But one great thing John does, and he learned it from Jesus, faithfulness is important. 
Faithfulness is supposed to come. It comes as a result of, and now we do have the Spirit, and now we want to love, and we have the power to love, and faithfulness absolutely is important to the point where that's walking in the truth. It's faithfulness. You just don't want to get the order reversed. So he's affirming their faithfulness, and he's calling for greater faithfulness. I like the way these people are described. I hope you do as well. They've gone out for the sake of the name. It's good. It's good. This, this comes up in the book of Acts as well. They're going to go do evangelism and, and it's summarized by they go out for the sake of the name. The name. Remember, his name is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, he is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. They're out proclaiming salvation in Christ, the unique one, the unique extraordinary one, the one and only one who came here to save his people from their sins. And they're out for the sake of the name. Not only that, if they're out for the sake of the name, and even the way he says it, no, that's the way he says it, for the sake of the name. It's, it's, the, it's for the fame of Jesus. It's, it's, it's why there's... Name above every name. He's the one who saves people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. He's the unique Savior. It's good. Going out for the sake of the name. Fame, because He's the one and only Savior, for the good of the people He represents, doesn't get any better. I love the talk. I love the language. Send them out on their journey, verse 6 ends with, in a manner worthy of God. Different ways you could take that. In a manner worthy of God, they represent the name of the Son of God, so you, you should send them out as if you're sending out the one who represents Jesus because they do. That would be true. in a manner worthy of God, or it could be you, you love them and support them the way God loves and supports because He's loved you, we love too. That also is true. I like thinking about people we would support in ministry in those terms. It's good and healthy and right. And then at the end there, where he says, we ought to support people like these. There's our ought. If you like oughts in sermons, tell me what to do. There's our ought. We ought to support people like that. And notice at the end, when we do support people like that, who proclaim the fame of Jesus, the truth about Jesus, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's cool too. How have you enjoyed the weather lately in Pune? How many of you have ever been to Pune, India? Natalie? Chris is back there. Some others. Ministry-wise, you've been there. You were just there ministering to a hundred deaf children, telling them the gospel. 
big picture story Bible and singing with them. Partnering together. They partner with us. But here he's talking about support. And whether it's there or somewhere else or somewhere around here, when we're together in this, in supporting and helping, we're fellow workers. We're arm in arm doing this together. It's a great thing. That's why he's saying you ought to do this. What's greater than the fame of Jesus? The name above every name. God's unique, extraordinary, one and only Son raised from the dead, Jesus. And we proclaim the name so that he might be famous because he deserves it and so that those he represents might be saved. This is amazing to think about. No wonder he says ought. No wonder it's the great joy because when when the gospel goes out, because it needs to go out for people to be saved, Romans 10, and it goes out and faith comes by hearing and the power of the Spirit regenerates people, guess what? Believers are going to live lives and walk in the truth. No greater joy. So the ought can be connected with the no greater joy. John could be getting at, hey, I've got this great joy because you're doing the right thing and there's nothing greater to me than that. And you know what? You should support these people who are out proclaiming the name just like I proclaim the name because then you can have no greater joy because you can see the fruit of all of this. It's pretty awesome. It's really awesome. The truth, the name. One more thing and we'll move on. John has already, as a pattern, talked about those who've gone out. And the worst example is, he uses it typically in a negative way. Remember 1 John 2.19? Those who went out from us were never really of us. See, they said, well, you know what? We, we know that this is what you say the gospel is, but we say it's something else. We know that Jesus has to be fully God and fully man, but we say one or the other or something else. We know that you apostles say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we, or whatever it might be, John says, they've gone out from us and they were never really of us. Here he uses it in the positive. I love this as a compliment to 1 John 2.19 or, or the converse of 1 John 2.19. These people have gone out, not because they were never of us, they've gone out with the same message that we believe and proclaim and so we ought to support them. It's great when people go out. And it's like we're going out as long as they're going out with the truth, he calls it. The name, he calls it. It's a great thing. It's a great, 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 great thing. Now a good example and a bad example. Verse 9 says, I have written something to the church. I just have to remind you, he's an apostle. Okay? So if we had chairs up front here, and big, the big chairs for the big guy, Right? John would get the big chair. He, he's the guy. If, if this you know, were high church kind of stuff, he'd get the fanciest robe. 
He'd get the biggest gold pole, whatever those are for. Um, he'd get the biggest hat. The most smoke would be around him. Okay? I don't think any of that should be done, but I'm just trying to give you the idea. A lot of times, those who have the actual authority, apostles, are not the ones who wear it on their shirt sleeve. Okay? If you're an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the authority of Jesus Christ. This is why I like to say your Bible should be red letter, not the words of Jesus alone. Because if you're an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you speak with his authority. So here's John. And he says, I have written something to the church. Whoa, right? But he doesn't do that. But Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. King James says, who loves the preeminence. Ah, I want the big, I have a big chair, right? When you call the office, it says, you know, Dr. So-and-so, not Pastor So-and-so, even though I've never studied medicine, right? I'm, I love to be first. I love the preeminence. I love to talk. I love to hear myself talk. I love to be in charge. I love to have power. I am the man. I have made a name for myself. And in reality, John is the man, by the way. But he says, there's this guy who loves the preeminence. He loves to have .com behind his name for his quote-unquote ministry. I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, who loves the preeminence, does not acknowledge our authority. This is like some, somebody today who says, well, I, I know the Bible says that, but this is what I say. And I, I'm on my third jet, right? Or whatever it might be. Because John has written apostolic authority. Diotrephes say, says, no, I don't care what the Bible says. Now, I know he doesn't say it that way. He's saying, I don't care what John says. But in our application, that's how it's going to end up showing itself. He wants to be heard. And, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking liberties, right, so you kind of get the idea. But I do want you to get the idea. If evangelicalism has been plagued with one thing, it's been our love for celebrity. We love celebrities. Ordinary churches, not so much. Ordinary people, not so much. We love celebrities. Would you autograph my Bible? <laughs> I've seen that more times than I can count. I love celebrities. But let's at least remember what's happening here. You've got the guy who, by the grace of God, writes the Bible, <laughs> at least parts of it, showing great humility. And here we have Diotrephes. So if I come, verse 10 says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. So says the apostle of love, by the way. Right? He, he, he's, he wrote the gospel of love. He, he's the one who's there with Jesus. So we can't, we can't think this is hate speech. He knows what he's talking about. But he refers to Diotrephes as talking wicked nonsense. 
I know the Bible says this, but this is how we do ministry. And not content with that, he refuses. I mean, here we go for, for pastoral abuse. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. So he not only doesn't like the true apostles, he doesn't like true believers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Piece of work. This guy's got power, apparently, because he has the power to do this. But not only does he not like the apostles, he doesn't like the brothers. And if you, this is, this is like ultimate secondary separation, for those of you who come out of fundamentalism, right? If anybody else affirms them, we're after them, and we're going to discipline them out of the church. The guy likes to be first. He likes preeminence. Now, what we don't have here, and I'm going to move on in just a second, but what we don't have here is, is and maybe, I mean, curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> maybe curiosity is going to get the best of me here, but I, I'd be curious to know what the smear campaign was after this by Diotrephes. It wouldn't be the first time that apostles had smear campaigns against them. I've been reading 2 Corinthians lately. Sheesh. But John's the true apostle. Okay, verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Don't be like Diotrephes. And he's labeling him as evil. I wrote in my margin there, or put in, I put in brackets actually, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good... I wrote, like accepting apostolic authority and those who promote the truth for the fame of the name. That's good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And in this case, Diotrephes is the example of evil and he uses the image of he doesn't know anything about God. He hasn't even seen God. He's unfamiliar with God. I find it so interesting. Again, here's a little letter meant to affirm and encourage, by and large, positive. I rejoice, keep on keeping on. But that's not mutually exclusive. And it doesn't forbid an opportunity for John to say, and by the way, here's what not to do. But we're so quick because we have a non-critical culture, unless we're the ones criticizing, of saying, that's not very nice. Well, it's not very nice to reject apostolic authority. It's not a very good idea. It doesn't help promote the gospel and the truth. It undermines the gospel and the truth. But we oftentimes just don't have a very good um, stomach for that. But I'm hoping we, we, develop, we develop one. Don't try to be like Diotrephes. I listened to a whole sermon uh, this week about Diotrephes. It was good and helpful. I'm not going to re-preach it to you. Loving preeminence. Christians are crucified with Christ. That was my biggest takeaway from Eric Alexander. It doesn't make any sense for us to love the preeminence. Maybe I will say one more thing, and that's... Diotrephes rejects apostolic authority and then wants to make a name for himself by coloring outside of the lines, we would be foolish to not think that that doesn't happen in our day. 
this is what the Bible says a church is supposed to do. This is what the Bible says a church is supposed to be. But you know what? This is how we can make millions of followers or dollars. Not everyone's interested in both. I don't know why someone asked me to. I think I watched, um, I watched some sermons. I listened to them and then I watched them of some pastors who used to preach a certain way, pretty straightforward, coming out of a background um, of known for teaching the Bible verse by verse. And then in a matter of very short time, it was absolutely amazing to hear the voice inflections, to hear the, the voice, the, the cadence in speaking, uh, to see the style of things, down to the clothes they were wearing and are wearing, doing their very, 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 very best to look and act like Stephen Furtick, who I think is a heretic and has one of the fastest growing, most amazing churches in America. Why are we drawn to loving the preeminence as opposed to apostolic authority clear in the Bible? It is insane. It is absolutely insane. Because it doesn't lead to children, spiritually speaking, walking in the truth. And that's where the joy is going to come from. Not nice to name names, but Diotrephes is named. And I don't know, I, I don't think any of you know Diotrephes. He's, I don't even think he's on TBN anymore. <laughs> but you might know Stephen Furtick. Verse 12, Demetrius, now we're on to something. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. He's the guy following apostolic authority. He's the guy who universally is pointed to. He's the guy that preaches the text, so to speak. And from the truth itself, which is a crazy ratcheted up way of complimenting the guy. I mean, this guy's ministry is known for doing the right thing to the point where even the truth itself, God's word affirms him. He doesn't need it from somebody else. It's just a great, 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 great compliment from the truth itself. I remember in seminary, we used to watch one particular professor whenever we had guest speakers in seminary. And I don't know why, some, why, I don't know why we had some of the guest speakers we had. But anyway, that's... That's neither here nor there. And we would watch that professor and he would have his Bible open, kind, little, gentlemanly, old man. Uh, he was on the translating committee for the New American Standard Bible, so we used to joke and say he wrote the Bible. Anyway, <laughs> not really, but and he would sit there and when the preacher stopped preaching the text, he'd just close his Bible, sit there like a gentleman. But we all thought, Busted by Dr. Thomas. <laughs> this guy here, Demetrius, the truth itself is giving him a good testimony. 
what he says and how he does ministry. It's not about fame. It's not about fortune. It's about proclaiming the name. And in proclaiming the name, it leads to people saved and walking in the truth. Demetrius, that's a good ministry because of what he does is proclaiming the name. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Apostolic testimony, even from the likes of John. Transition to close, then verse 13, and we'll wrap things up. Uh, I, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. He said that in Second John as well. Uh, I hope to see you soon. He wants to come. That's how much he cares. And we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. F- greet the friends each by name. And let's stop and pray. Father, thank you so much for your gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation in him. Thank you for models who've gone before us, who don't try to just make a name for themselves, who don't seek fame, influence, and fortune, but do seek to further the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one unique one who is worthy of all our praise and adoration. We're thankful for for that. We're thankful for the fact that your grace is what empowers us to walk in the truth. May it be so for the men and women and boys and girls who are here. And may we live lives that have joy because the things we care about most are things that will last forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.